Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Before we get into our message today, I want to, uh, I want to say, first of all, that I'm really thankful that through uh, this period of separation that you've been so faithful in your giving. And uh, yes, our giving has dropped a bit. That's to be expected when we're not gathering regularly, and I think we've probably fallen off the radar for some people. We've done our best to stay connected, but we know how that works. But I want to thank you for your faithful giving. And uh, your giving is enabling us to continue reaching people, helping people find and follow Jesus, uh, bring this service online, and to be able to gather on site and online together as we pursue Jesus. And so I just want to thank you for that. If you're watching this online, uh, there'll be a link provided in the chat box for you where you can go to the church website page and find out more about giving if you're interested, if that's something you'd like to do. Uh, That's not a pressure thing. If you're new to the church, just checking things out, it's not really for you. It's for people who would call Erickson Covenant Church their home church and are wanting to support uh, what's going on. And uh, for those who are here gathered, there's a basket there to the side that you can also drop your offering in if you're not already giving online or digitally, which is a pretty handy way to give. So just wanted to mention that and, uh, and say thank you. I also wanted to pray this morning, to pray together. You know, there's, there's a lot going on, isn't there? I can think of a few things we could pray about. And I probably could spend the next half an hour standing up here praying for stuff. But I want to highlight a couple of things in prayer today because... We, as the church, we as people are concerned, and uh, we want to bring those concerns to God. So if you would just join with me as we, as we pray for uh, a few things right now. Lord Jesus, there is so much going on in the world, but you know it. You understand it. You are fully apprised of the situations going on around us, and we watch sometimes with horror at the things that are happening. And we simply call out to you this morning, We ask for your intervention. We ask for your care. We ask that you would bring peace to fractious, difficult situations. That you bring healing where there's brokenness. You bring reconciliation where there's been injustice. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to work through your people to bring hope and healing and renewal into the areas of brokenness in our world. It's obvious that one of the things we want to continue to pray for, Lord, is this pandemic. As we watch a number of areas in the world really struggling right now, worse than ever for some of them, as both provinces and countries uh, go back into a state of lockdown, we just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would bring your peace, your help, your wholeness to these um, difficult places, that you would bring strength uh, to families, that you would bring Um, health and protection to those who are most vulnerable during this time. Think of those who are in uh, violent situations, unjust situations. We think of those who are uh, isolated terribly. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring peace, that you bring connection, that you bring protection to them. We ask that you continue to give wisdom and courage and understanding to all those who are attempting to stop the spread of COVID, 
attempting to protect the lives of vulnerable around us, as well as respond wisely um, because of the impact this has on uh, the economy and on real people's lives uh, across the board. And uh, we just recognize the complexity of this, Lord, and ask that you would bring um, your kingdom, your, your care, uh, your understanding, your life to these places, uh, to us as your people, to this, your world. Lord, we're also very mindful as Canadians and some of us Americans here, some of us Americans who are watching online, we're very mindful that this next week is a big week in, in the U.S., in the life of Americans. And as a result, because of the tremendous influence of America, really the world over, we recognize that uh, this election, whatever the results are, is going to result in unrest. And there'll be, there'll be problems, there'll be strife, and, and, and uh, well, we don't know, but we, we sense that there's going to be um, problems. And Lord, this week as I gathered with a whole bunch of covenant pastors uh, over Zoom, they, uh, all of them Americans, were expressing their, their deep concern about the weeks that are coming and how to, how to pastor their congregations and how to, how to love and care and bring wisdom and peace and, and to be present in the midst of, of what potentially could be a really inflammatory time. And Lord, as, as your people, as Canadians, we just stand and ask for your peace. We ask for your grace. We do ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. We ask for protection, particularly for those who are vulnerable during this time, for those who feel like, um, like life is just going to blow apart. And uh, We ask that you would give the church, um, your people, the power to stand with each other in solidarity, to, to be present in those difficult situations in a way of love and of peace, to contribute um, to the good that is happening by standing against what is wrong, being present where there's brokenness and declaring your name in the midst of what has become a very polarized situation. I don't really know how to pray exactly, Lord, but we just know that you do, and we ask that you would intercede, intervene, and that uh, you would hold particularly the American people in your hands in these weeks that follow. We pray for your peace to reign. And Lord, it was hard not to recognize that there's also these acts of violence going on right now. I'm thinking of France. I'm thinking of Quebec this morning. I'm thinking of the things that are going on in the world where there's these, continue to be these acts of violence perpetrated by evil people under evil influence and um, we don't know all the situations that contribute, but we know this is wrong. And we weep and we lament um, these things that have, have, have ruined lives, have destroyed life. People created in your image. Both those who have received violence as those who are perpetrating the violence. Something's terribly wrong. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would bring your healing. You'd bring justice. You'd bring hope. You'd bring change that would result in true life coming. Lord, those are things that were on my heart and mind today, but there are more things, and I, I recognize that for those of us who are gathered on site, those of us who are gathered online, there may be specific things that, that we want to offer to you now, to raise up to you, to cry out to you, to ask for you, to intervene, to change it, 
to hold in your hands. And so we offer those things to you now. I think of those in our community who are struggling with health, who are struggling with mental health or physical health, struggling with uh, emotional difficulties, family, relationships. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would bring your peace and your wholeness to them as well. And in all these things, Lord, I pray that we who claim to follow you, who follow you, Lord Jesus, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help us to be people of peace, people of grace, people of truth, people who point to you every chance we get in what we say and what we do for your glory and for our neighbor's good. We pray these things. Amen. Well, over the last few years, the term uh, uh, fake news has made it onto our radar. <laughs> it's been invoked uh, to discredit really a whole variety of opposing views. Uh, whether or not they're fake or not, I'll leave it to you pundits. You can decide. But the whole idea that it's possible to receive news that's not credible, um, that might not only be false, but might be intentionally misleading, has actually led to a cultural crisis of, well, faith of some sort. I mean, can we really trust what we read, what we see, what we <clears throat> scroll through on Facebook? <laughs> can we trust it? Are we able to even discern what's true anymore? Are we able to process the information given, considering that it, it's given to us with real bias, and often then having a whole bunch of experts lined up to support the view. And rather than causing people to sort of step back, uh, maybe dig deeper into the sources or read more broadly in history and maintain some critical distance from these polarized politics, um, many have instead chosen in advance which news or maybe more directly which news sources they deem as true and which ones they dismiss as false. And they do that largely based on already held convictions, previously held convictions, which leads us often to the classic echo chamber, where we actually only ever hear the things that we already believe, and all the things that might suggest otherwise we've eliminated altogether. They actually call that confirmation bias. Well, fake news might be a bit of a newer term for us, but the question it raises isn't new at all. The basic question is this, how do I know if what I'm reading, seeing, believing is actually true? How do I know it's grounded in reality? What are my convictions based on? Or maybe more to the point, how do I know if what, how would I know if what I was believing was true or not? True or false? Now, people have been actually looking for that, asking for that, you could say, since the dawn of time. This is something that sits deep within us. I think it was wired there by our creator. We were made for a world that's true, a world that's sure. We were made for a world that's real and authentic. But how can we know that what we believe is true now? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Today, we're beginning a brand new teaching series in a little letter called 1 John. First John's toward the end of your Bibles. It actually sits with a bundle of other letters written by John. There's first, second, and third John. And then there's only two more books in the New Testament, two more books in the Bible, Jude and Revelation. 
very likely that these three letters were sent together as a bundle to the church that John was writing to. And actually, you may not have heard this before, but a suggested way that makes sense to me is that you actually read them in reverse. Third John is like the cover letter written to the guy who got the letter, you know, was actually delivered to him. That's third John. Second John is the greeting letter that was read to the gathered community to preface and set up the main teaching, which is first John. Because the main teaching is first John, then that's why it got placed there in order of priority. But that, you know, that's just for you a little bit of a tidbit. John writes a bit of a rambling letter. He often will circle back to same themes throughout the whole letter. And this November, we're only going to explore the first chapter and a half. Um, But as he rambles, can I say that? As he rambles, John leads us right up to the answer to this question. What does it mean for us to live true? To truly live, but to live true. People whose lives are not only grounded in truth, but lived out in truthful, vibrant, whole, pure, authentic ways. What does it look like? And so let me ask you an opening question along this theme, which is for anyone from any background listening, irrespective of your faith or your philosophy, how do you know that what you believe is actually true? Just think about that. How do you know that what you believe, what you think, is actually true? It's a good question to ask whatever faith perspective you might be from, whatever religious faith or faith in the stars or faith in science, faith in, in the goodness of humanity, or whether you're from a Buddhist background or, or philosophy or, or stoicism, or, or maybe you're uh, from a Mormon faith or Muslim faith or even within historic Christianity. When you drill right down to the bottom, what's your faith founded on? You know, when you kind of cut through all the things you want to be true because you like it, or, or, or ways that culture has shaped your expectations around kind of what's believable, what makes sense to you or not, when you kind of push aside all the extras, even the negative stories you've heard or the positive stories you've heard, and you get right down to the basics. What's my faith or my worldview, my basic framework for the purpose of my life, or maybe even the point of the universe? However you'd answer that question, what is it actually founded on, and is it true? I think that's an important question. And for many of us, that kind of question can set us on a journey of discovery, of seeking in order to find what is true. And that's my personal hope for you, that you would be on that kind of discovery. All of us, followers of Jesus or people just exploring faith, you'd be on that discovery of what is true so that you and I can be living true. Well, at the very beginning of John's little letter, he starts at the rock bottom foundation of his faith, which is actually the rock bottom foundation of the historic Christian faith. I want you to listen for it. I'm beginning in the very first verse of 1 John chapter 1. This is how he begins. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and has appeared to us, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. We'll pause there. We'll keep going in just a moment. What John is highlighting here is true news about the one who is true life. Can you see what he's doing? He's taking his readers, these early followers of Jesus, right back to the foundation of their own faith. He's reminding them that they didn't just make this stuff up. He's reminding them that this is the truest news they know, the fact that Jesus Christ came from the Father and was experienced in reality, a real person who lived, who spoke, who healed, who ate, who drank, who slept and laughed and wept and suffered and died and rose again. And then when he rose again, he walked and talked and ate and, t- and, and laughed and was, was doing it all in front of them because it was a real thing, a real resurrection, a real body, a real person. Now, every faith position, not only religious, but spiritual or ideological from Islam right through to atheism, from goddess worship to, to you know, whatever faith perspective you might have, every faith position appeals to some kind of foundation when you drill down. And the Christian faith is no different. But the foundation that's appealed to here by John isn't something just philosophical. Rather, he appeals to something experiential, that Jesus came in the flesh, that he lived, that he was touchable and seeable and hearable. He was there among them, with them, walking with them. He died and rose again, and this was experienced in real time by real people who witnessed this whole thing and were changed by it, and as a result, told the whole world about it. When you push everything else aside, this is where the Christian faith finds its footing upon this testimony, this true news about this one life, that Jesus Christ was born of Mary into a Jewish family, that he was raised in Roman-occupied Israel right in the first years of what is now called the Common Era, era, C-E, or A-D, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, Jesus Christ. In those first 30, 33 years, Jesus began to teach and heal and proclaim that God's kingdom had come to earth in him, that he was revealing himself to Israel as their true Messiah, as the very Son of God and King of the world. By doing so, he, of course, radically upset the religious and political authorities, and so he was crucified around age 33. But, and it's a big but, he rose again three days later, as he had predicted over and over and over again that he would do. And people saw it, saw him, walked with him, talked with him. For many days afterwards, this was the real deal. And for followers of Jesus, this is always square one. This is why some of our most basic creeds, like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, always include these kind of basic, almost bare-bones historical facts. You know, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, was buried. On the third day, he rose again. All this basic news, because this everyday fact reminds us that this isn't stuff that somebody, you know, a committee wasn't called of, of, of Jewish men who got together and decided, let's make something up to really rock the world, right? They wouldn't have done that. The idea of making up a Messiah that died on a Roman cross is ludicrous. They didn't make this up. It's based in reality. 
Jesus came and people were transformed by that encounter with him. They were so transformed that they spent the rest of their lives, and for some of them, because of this, it was a short life. They spent the rest of their lives letting the world know what had happened in Jesus and how their life could change as a result. Did you notice how John, right here in these first verses, he uses the word proclaim three times? We proclaim to you, we proclaim, we proclaim. The life appeared, Jesus Christ himself. And what he's trying to say is, this wasn't just a private thing, you know? It wasn't just my deal. Oh, that's nice for me. Rather, what they experienced was something deeply personal and yet profoundly public. It's for everybody. This is true for everyone. This is universal truth that is profoundly personal that goes out into all the world. Truth that needs to be shared. And this is why John goes on and on here saying, we told you about how we experienced for real Jesus in the flesh. And we're doing this so you can get in on this life of following Jesus too. So you can live true. So the Christian faith is not based on a fairy tale. It's not based on something somebody made up, but based on true eyewitness testimony. When we drill down deep, the Christian faith is something true because it's founded on facts. And why is this so important? Well, because in order to live true, your faith can't be based on something you just decided felt nice or seemed to make sense to you on Tuesday afternoon after five cups of coffee or something that you heard somewhere and was passed down from somebody It can't be just a fairy tale thing that we've made up. You can't live true if your faith is grounded on something false, something that actually doesn't work out. Fake ideas, fake stories, fake news won't make us whole people. It won't make us real and vibrant. Only truth can do that. Only a truth that is experienced personally that changes our lives founded on true, trustworthy testimony. And that's why John starts there. So back to our basic question, what's your faith founded on? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it's founded on. But here's the deal. You may not really know that. The truth is, there are people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet, if you were to press a little bit and find out, well, why do you follow Jesus? You'll find that it's not really based on anything deeply rooted but based on the fact that, well, this is just what we believe in our family, or, well, I thought it was nice, or, well, I just kind of, you know, think Jesus is a cool guy. Well, he is a cool guy, but could you go a little deeper? And so there'd be people who might claim to follow Jesus, but they've never actually drilled down to the foundation. They don't even know that their own Christian faith is founded on a real life. I mean, they know it is broadly speaking founded on Jesus, but they don't realize how solid, how sure, how historical this is, Jesus' life death, and resurrection. You can't get more foundational than that. You can't get a truer testimony than that. And so what John does here is he does everything to remind his readers, to remind us that Jesus was real. He was touched. He was heard. He was seen. So that our faith isn't just a fairy tale that the moment we hit some kind of opposition, the moment we hear a different story, the moment our faith is challenged, poof, it disappears. Because that happens, you know. People who you thought were solid weren't because they actually had never really grappled with the foundation of their faith. Now, for those of us who are unsure about Christ, who are just exploring faith, this is an exciting time. This is an invitation for you to ask some of these basic questions. About Jesus, yes. To explore his life and find out, is this really true? Is what this guy on camera or here in the building saying, is that 
made up? Is he just, you know, bolstering his? Is, he, is it just spin from him too? Well, this is your opportunity to dig in and find out, is this really true? What's with this Jesus guy? It's an opportunity for you to ask personal questions about your own faith or your own philosophy, your own framework for life, to say, what is it founded on? To spend a few hours with a notepad and start making up some, some, some lists and, and asking yourself, is what I believe true? Is what I believe compelling? Is what I believe about the world, the way the world works, the way it goes, the point of it, is it something that's going to result in a true life for me? Because here's the thing. The true news that John is reminding them of, recalling to them, it's not just cold, hard data. It's not just stats, you know. And the Christian faith, though it is very rational and logical and sensible, I believe, it's not just about believing the facts. That's not enough. The facts of our faith are all about experiencing the person of Jesus Christ so that we can experience and live the true life that God created us to live. And that's where John takes us next. I'll back up just slightly in these first few verses just so that we get a little bit larger context. He says, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. Here it is. So that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Listen, not only is this true news about the true life, but this true news creates a new relationship. If we believe it, if we respond to it. Have you ever thought about how true news can create new relationship? I have a great story from our family. Uh, My oldest sister, Actually, both my sisters are with a guy's named Darcy. It gets a little confusing, but anyway, my oldest sister's Darcy uh, received a phone call. I think the call was to the house, actually. My sister might have picked up the phone. She received a phone call, and there was a woman on the line who started asking some personal questions about Darcy. Turns out, Darcy and his girlfriend, many years ago now, in high school, got pregnant. They weren't ready to parent and so the child, thankfully, was given up for adoption to a beautiful family down in southern Alberta. And uh, at the time, open adoption wasn't a thing, and, and my brother-in-law Darcy didn't know. I don't even know if he knew it was a boy, but he didn't know. Whatever happened to the child had no way, really, of tracking it, tracking or tracing down. And so, But as it happened, you know those little uh, mail kits you can get now with Ancestry? You drop your blood on something? Yeah, so he did this, the son, that is. Um, And uh, lo and behold, found a relative. And through that relative, found his biological dad. And so it was actually his wife to call called the house and started asking some questions and uh, eventually led to this revelation that um, this was his son attempting contact. And, uh, you know, this was big news. It's exciting news that they that received. Now, now, let me ask you, with the news that this uh, long-lost son uh, was trying to reconnect with them, what do you think he did? Slam down the receiver. <laughs> Deny it altogether. Disbelieve. Of course not. He was excited. 
They set up a time to meet, and it was a beautiful connection. You can't say, you can't say reconnect. It was, it was a new relationship. And it resulted, they went camping, and there's, 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 there, you know, he's married with kids, and, and they, met, they were able to meet his biological parents, or his adoptive parents, sorry, who are wonderful people. And uh, they've gotten together quite a number of times and gone camping together. And it's been this beautiful new relationship that has resulted from this fairly dramatic, fairly surprising news. They're loving it. My point is this. This true news about a son led to a brand new relationship because Darcy and Bev received it and responded to it. He did have a choice. There have been times in history, you and I both know it, where people have received that call and have pushed back from it. But that wasn't the case with them. He was excited. He made the connection, and he's very thankful that he did. We're all thankful that he did. Well, in John's letter, he makes this similar point. This news about Jesus, this news about the Son, this news about this true life that has appeared, it was proclaimed to them so that they could respond, so that they could have fellowship, so that they could be reconnected to the God who loves them and the people that he has brought together. You'll notice how he talks about fellowship with us and fellowship with God and the Father and the Son. It's the sense of coming in to the family. This news is told to us, not so people just have another idea, another, uh, you know, religion, God help us all. No, this news is told to us about Jesus, who he is, and what he did for us, what it means to respond to them. This news was told so that, and then it was proclaimed and shared down through the centuries so that if it was believed, if it was acted upon, if it was responded to, it would create a whole new life, a whole new relationship, connection with God, connection with his family, a transformed life. And the language used here is fellowship, and we'll actually explore more of what that means later. But hear this today. This true news about Jesus leads us to true life with Jesus. That's the point of the proclamation. It's the point of the telling, it's the foundation of the Christian faith. Well, as we close, I have um, to circle back to our opening question. This is kind of my application for you. And, and for some of us, this might be an old question, but I challenge you to take it to heart. How do you know what you believe is true? How do you know what you believe is true? It's a good question for anyone to ask. Those of us who followed Jesus a long time and would kind of be able to say, well, I, I, I know it's true. Maybe it's time to refresh yourself. Maybe it's time to be reminded of the foundational truths, the eyewitness reports found in the Gospels. Maybe it's time to get back to some of the the foundational reasons of why our faith is founded on truth. For those of us who are exploring faith, who may have a variety of worldviews or perspectives, I ask you the same question. How do you know what you believe is true? And I invite you onto a path of discovery to dig into your own faith, your own philosophy, but also to dig in to the Christian faith, to dig into the Gospels, to maybe read a book. Of a, maybe there's people, there are great books written by people who have been on a journey of faith themselves. The one I've recommended because I enjoyed it so much was written by a homicide detective named Jay Warner Wallace, who um, worked on homicide for many years, now works in cold cases. This man knows how to look at evidence 
how to look and sift through eyewitness reports long after the fact and figure out what happened. He's quite renowned um, in, in the southern United States. He's the guy they call. Well, he was a hardened atheist. And so he thought, I love these stories. He thought, well, I know how to look at evidence long after the fact. I'm going to dig into the story and show how it doesn't bear up. Well, the truth is it bore up. And as a homicide detective, a cold case detective, sifting through the evidence presented in the Gospels, he came to the stunning for him conclusion, this is profoundly true. And he wrote that up, and it's a beautiful way, especially those of you who like murder mysteries. The story is great because virtually every illustration has a dead body in a room with it. Um, huh. uh, anyway, it's called Cold Case Christianity. I recommend it to you as a, a, a great way to access some of these questions, whether you're a person of the Christian faith or whether you're exploring. I think you'll find it helpful. The other story I've recommended before, but I'll say it again, was written by Nabil Qureshi a Muslim, young Muslim man who began to question his own faith, the faith that he was brought up with. It's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And he came to a place where he had some serious questions about his Muslim faith, and together in conversation with a Christian friend, became convinced that the story of Jesus was true, and true in a way that created new relationship with Jesus. And as you do that, I challenge you practically to, 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 again, sit down with a pad of paper and to list questions you have, doubts you have, write out your problems and find a discussion partner that will be open with you about talking about some of these things. Maybe someone with some knowledge even of the Bible or of the Gospels that can help you understand it. Maybe a person who has been following Jesus for a while and can provide some good guidance, not to jam you in, I don't mean it like that, but someone that can walk with you and uh, just meet with you online or, or, or in person to discover um, what this might look like, who Jesus is. And I'm finding my last sheet. There we go. That's, that's my practical application for you today. Um, my hope is that we would be a church that lives this true news. We're telling a true story it's grounded in real life, but it meets us where we are at. It's personal and it's public. And our hope as the Erickson Covenant Church is that we would be the kind of community that's open to asking hard questions, but also open to the hard question askers. You know what I mean? Because I think we've all had the experience of someone asking a hard question, which gets our hackles up and we get a bit defensive. Uh, we don't want to be that kind of church. We want to be the kind of church that says, oh, that's a great question. Let's have coffee. Uh, or, hey, let's dig into that together. Let's explore it together. You might remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the question that we ask around here is, where is it written? Well, a version of that is, let's go and see how this figures out in the Bible together. But when it comes right down to the foundation, we believe in Jesus. We follow him. And not because it's a cultural thing or a religious thing. We believe in Jesus because the testimony that was given about him we believe it's true that he came from God to us, that he became one of us, that he lived among us. And he showed us the way back to a relationship with the God who made us. And then he died to make that possible and rose again to make it sure. And this Jesus who died and rose again, he was seen, he was heard, he was felt by real people, real people who told others about it, wrote it down in real time. 
And this Jesus now sits as the Lord of, of heaven and earth, and he's working by his Holy Spirit through us to make this deeply fractured world whole again. He's doing that personally. He's doing that publicly. This is the Jesus that we love and we follow. And this is the Jesus that we worship. I want to invite the worship team to come on back up. This is, this is the God that we're in fellowship with as we respond to this good news about who Jesus is. This is the God that we celebrate, that we declare, that we believe. And so our final song today, I invite you just to join us as we sing along. Um, it declares what we believe about the Jesus that we love and follow. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.